0: Welcome to the Free Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Wayman Wednesday. That means you're about to hear a message from the founder of our fellowship, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. Even though he entered into his reward and is in the presence of our Lord, we still need to hear his clarion call to faithfulness, holiness, discipleship, and commitment to the cause of Christ. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Time this week, if you have your Bibles, the Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter eleven. The Book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Solomon uh, wrote this book, and the very first chapter are entitled, The Words of the Preacher. Ecclesiastes is the... How many of you have your Bibles? Let me see you lift your hand. How many you have your Bible? Bible conference, about a third of you have your Bibles. Amen. <laughs> Words from the Preacher. If you don't know where it is, why, uh, go to Psalms, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. You'll find it. In this uh, text that we have, I'm going to read tonight one of the most profound passages of the entire Bible, and this is especially true if you're a church planter, if you're going to plant a church, uh, you're going to uh, be the one that goes out, plants a church, or if you're a sender, this is very crucial that you understand the words that are here. These are some of the most important words. uh, that you'll ever read. Because in this passage of Scripture, uh, the preacher brings a bit of reality uh, into life. Very simple message is here. It's an image of someone sowing seed and receiving a harvest. Follow with me Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Cast your bed upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be upon the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or the spirit, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, in the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike. I want to preach a sermon entitled, Wisdom from the Preacher. I want to fasten your attention, first of all, on the mistake uh, that we make. It's made very clear in this passage of Scripture. And the mistake that we make uh, in this uh, uh, present age is the age of the mega mentality. This is the age of mega buildings. This is the age of mega money. This is the age of mega people. And in this generation, if you put the building, big building, big money, big people together, it spells success uh, for the generation uh, in which you and I live. I was reading a, a very good uh, book uh, to could be worth your time to read. It's uh, 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 a book that uh, has to do with the church age in which we live. And in this book, he's giving the imagery of a young uh, uh, preacher, probably 24, 25 years old. He's a cool dude, no doubt in a Hawaiian shirt, you know. Can't be bothered with a shirt and a tie. He's cool. So he's pepping the crowd. It, it reminds me of, uh, of, uh, uh, of a sales uh, rally for Amways, what it reminds me he's describing. And so he's challenging his conference. Uh, and says, what you need is to have a B-H-A-G, big, hairy, audacious goal. Now that sounds fantastic. I'm going to have B-H-A-G. This generation is oriented to the visible and oriented to the immediate. Look at verse 4 with me for just one moment. He who observes the wind will not sow And who regards the clouds uh, will not reap. So as we think about that for a moment, if we're going to take that at face value, we're going to base our ministry on that uh, as a consequence of starting out life with a big, hairy, audacious goal. Now think about that. Here you are, Peanutville as you start out, and that uh, mentality is in your mind, because you're not going to start out with a fantastic building of fantastic money and a fantastic success, and as a course uh, of consequences, uh, because of that mentality, you do not give yourself uh, or want to give yourself to something that does not have an immediate return. No ministry that doesn't have an immediate response uh, or any ministry effort that does not offer an immediate reward, you're not going to want to give yourself to it uh, because you're going to immediately be oriented to to gratification uh, and to acclaim. Look at this text with me for a moment. Uh, Because the mistake that we make is to measure and calculate from the invisible. You discount that. Look at this verse with me for a moment, for uh, because what we have here is the unknown elements of life. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 2. And all of these make it very specifically pointed, you do not know. I know this is the age of big brain. Everything's figured out. We've got a formula for everything. We know exactly what's going to happen. But the difficulty is uh, that if you try to measure and calculate uh, something that's invisible, you're going to miserably fail, uh, and you're not going to succeed. I don't care uh, how many big, hairy, audacious goals you set. Eternity cannot be calculated and measured and valued with a temporal equation. In verse 44 of 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says it is sown a natural body, it is saved, raised a spiritual body. So here we have an equation, and that equation is a temporal seed is going to be changed into a spiritual element uh, and a spiritual consequence. So as we examine this for a moment, uh, the difficulty that we have in the present age of marketing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is uh, that we begin to despise uh, small things. Listen to Zechariah 4 and verse 10. Who has despised the day of small things? Then again, Judges 6, verse 15, Gideon, God touches this man, and when God touches this man and says to him, this is what I want you to do, he said these words, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So what we have here this evening I want to bring your mind to is the error that we make, the mistake that we make, uh, and what we have is a direct contradiction uh, to the consumer generation uh, in which we live. Paul Graham preached in our church uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, he related that uh, he was astonished to, to step into America, and he discovers we have a consumer mindset. He found the answer for jet lag, the answer for jet lag is go into Walmart and stagger around and look at the, all the things that are there. America has, you 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 get a foreigner to come to a, a restaurant in America. It's an amazing thing to watch. You, you don't just order a meal uh, in America. You order a meal and then you've got option A, B, C. And then you've got option one or two. And uh, visitors, are they don't know what to make of all this. Because where they come from, you order a meal, you get a meal. That's what you get. You see, in our consumer mentality in America, and this consumer mentality is that we will despise the day of small things because ever bigger and ever better is the mode of the hour. And one writer wrote these words, listen to me carefully, says the gospel and the church selling it cannot be Uh, legitimate uh, if it is bought uh, by a select few. Now think about that for a moment, because here we are, we're going to measure success. We're going to measure our own ministry. We're going to value what we're trading our life for, And if you're not very careful, if you're caught up in the consumer mentality, uh, you begin to look around uh, and uh, suddenly you begin to see uh, that if there's only a few people buying what you're selling, uh, then automatically it must not be legitimate. Lock your mind into what I'm saying. I'm not preaching to you to have a small church, uh, but if you have a big H-A-G mentality, you're not likely to ever have a big church. You'll be discouraged and quit before you ever get there because you're going to begin to measure and the invisible is going to destroy you before you arrive at success. Listen to this quote, very powerful quote from this book. Pastor Tim Stevens and Tony Morgan outlined this belief in their book, Simply Strategic Growth, in a chapter titled, Bigger is Better. They write that a church should always be bigger than it was. It should be constantly growing. And they firmly believe that the bigger is what God intended for his church. And they firmly believe that. So consider Jesus' ministry on earth. Wherever he went, uh, growing crowds gathered to hear what he had to say. Stevens and Morgan seem to have forgotten that Jesus' earthly ministry ended with only a handful of followers remaining, everyone else had either abandoned or betrayed him uh, by a strictly quantitative measure. Jesus' ministry uh, was a failure. So what we have then is the deadly consequences uh, of this mentality individually. We're going to measure the present. We're going to value our ministry uh, and have a comparative dimension that we're always going to be imposing Uh, and the apostle paul in second corinthians 10 verse 12 said who has uh, says but they measuring themselves by themselves uh, and comparing themselves among themselves uh, are not wise so what happens to you with this kind of mentality is you begin to take this consumer mentality, you begin to ignore the invisible elements that I'm going to talk about, you begin to look at the visible elements, uh, and you're going to become discouraged, uh, and discouragement is a failure of the will, uh, and you'll soon uh, be removed uh, from the scene. Now, I saw this years ago. I was pastoring uh, in a, for the Four Square Gospel Organization, My wife and I would go to Bible conferences or international convention, and most of you have no idea what this is all about. You come to a conference, your pastor pays his sponsors for you, you get money, you get a meal, and I mean, it's wonderful. Isn't it wonderful? It's easy street. Well, that's not the world that we came in. I would take the the, uh, VA dividend from my VA insurance, uh, and that would what we would pay our way to conference with, uh, as we went. So we would go to conference, and as we're there uh, in uh, the denominational world, uh, somebody would come up to us that uh, is grinning like a used car salesman, and say to us, uh, "Now, where are you folks from?" And we'd say, "Wickenburg, Arizona." Doesn't that sound big, hairy, audacious? <laughs> And you could almost see it like a a glazed look would come over their eyes. I hate Hicks. I hate Hicks. I hate Hicks. (laughs) That's an inside joke. Some of you have heard the tape. Some of you haven't. The error that we make is if you're not very careful, then you'll never arrive at that big, hairy, audacious goal because there's something invisible working behind the scenes uh, And you're going to be ignoring the obvious. Now, think with me for a moment uh, as I talk. God delights uh, in a paradox. That's a seeming contradiction. Seven foolish things uh, are recorded in the Bible that God has used uh, for our instruction. One is an ox goat. One is a nail. One is a sling and a stone. Another is a broken pitcher. Another is a millstone. Another is the jawbone of a donkey. And another is a shepherd's staff. Now, none of these things are going to appear into the arena of our generation, which is the bold and the beautiful, the rich and the famous. See, that's what we're caught up in today. And we never seem to learn what the Bible states very clearly as a principle recorded in First Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 26. Let me read it to you again, just as a way of reminding you. For you see your calling, brethren, not that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble nobler called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world... Uh, to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Now, history records God's working, and it's in this text that we have. Here is an invisible mystery Unless you learn this, the devil is going to gain an advantage over you, and you're going to be defeated before you ever achieve your calling. In the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, the Lord Jesus wrote these tremendous words. He said, The kingdom of God, as is of a man, should scatter seed on the ground. And he should sleep night and day and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Now think with me for a moment, because what we have here is the invisible mystery of God. It is that behind-the-scenes working that you cannot calculate, you cannot measure that, you often do not even realize that it's going on or that's happening, but God has put paradox in everything that he's done, and there's a deliberate positioning of God. Philip goes to call Nathaniel, John chapter 1. As he calls Nathaniel, he says to him, We found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. And Nathaniel says to him these words, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth at that time was a little village of about 500 people. It had a reputation for a twisted character, and that statement had come out of the observation of the people there that seemed to be out of sorts, and there were twisted individuals, and it had become a proverb. And so he says there, Nazareth... Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, we find this paradox again. The prophet says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting as we're seated here this evening, we are trafficking in mystery. I want you to lock your mind on this uh, because it's going to be very important uh, this week uh, how you respond to what God is speaking to you. We are trafficking in mystery. God has deliberately positioned some of the most powerful truths of Scripture in a paradox uh, or seeming contradiction. Uh, And in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, let me read it to you. As you do not know what is the way of the Spirit, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who who is with child, so you do not know the works of God uh, who makes everything. For you do not know which will prosper either this this. or that, or whether both alike, uh, will be good. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, I don't know if you picked up... uh, the words that were there, but what Jonathan is saying, let's go venture for God. I wonder if you came to this conference this week to venture for God. If you came to this conference to venture for God, you are a contradiction to the age in which we live, because this is the calculating generation. Can you say amen? This is the generation that wants guarantees. We want a sure thing. Yes, I'm willing to go, Pastor, but, uh, but uh, what kind of guarantee do I have? None. Yes, uh, uh, Pastor Mitchell, I'm willing to plan that church, but uh, uh, how do I know this is going to work? You don't. This is the great venture that we have uh, in the kingdom of God and there's a lesson that a commentator has made. Listen to this quote. Unseen events come from God, and the man who always gazes on the uncertain future will neither begin or end any useful work. The man who gazes upon the future will never begin, nor he will ever end, any useful work. Work. There are no guarantees in the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 26 it says, Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do the research, you'll find out that that means men who have gambled their life. This is the terminology that is used. There is no guarantee. There's simply venture. There's simply risk. And in Act 15, it names these men who have gambled, they have risked their lives. We can take that backward. And those also who are the senders are the gamblers. Can you say amen? I had a part in sending the first worker to Nogales, Mexico. I had a part in sending the first worker to Perth, West Australia. I had a part in sending the first worker to London, England. And as I'm stating that, you have no concept of what that's all about. It defies logic uh, because uh, we were working with flawed workers. I know you think that you are uh, of an uppercut. You're a little better class, but you're not. We sent flawed workers... We had fatal failures, we had improbable prospects of success, and yet we can say as the false prophet, Balaam, look what God has done. Can you say amen? Look what God has done. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about the glorious impact of a life. In the Bible, we find that a life is a seed. I preached this in another sermon some time ago. I'm not sure. I may have mentioned this. You may have heard it. Some years ago in Egypt, they found wheat seeds in one of those tombs. Those seeds were 4,000 years old. They took some of those seeds, planted them, and they came up perfectly and grew because something was in those seeds uh, that is the mystery of God. Something was in those seeds which is a principle of life uh, encapsulated in a small piece of material that only God can create. You can take a wheat seed, you can take it, grind it up, you can analyze it, you can, you can uh, see the elements that are there. But something you cannot do is you cannot reproduce it. You cannot do that which God does. You can analyze the material. You can analyze the elements. But you cannot reproduce it, and you cannot manufacture it. It is a part of the invisible miracle of God, which is life. John marvels at this. Listen to these fantastic words in John, First John 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, uh, which was with the Father and was manifested uh, unto us. Of course, that is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the exact example and principle of life embodied. John's gospel in John chapter 1 says, In Him, Jesus Christ, was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, there's something here that is beyond measure that I want to point out and bring to your attention because time alone can demonstrate that principle of life which we've examined here in this passage of scripture. In the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 11 and verse 1, we read these words, "'Cast your bread upon the waters, uh, "'for you will find it after many days.'" Now, commentators aren't sure exactly what that is, but they speculate uh, that this is the imagery, perhaps, from the Nile River, when it would begin to overflow and flood the floodplains that men would uh, go in boats and begin to scatter seed. And as they scatter seed, uh, this would settle in the pools uh, and in the soft soil uh, would bring forth a harvest. Uh, and that's the speculation that, that perhaps uh, that's what it's uh, talking about. At any rate, what it is saying is that a life uh, is the sowing uh, of a seed. Now, Jesus enables that seed... Uh, and he speaks parables uh, that bring us understanding. Listen to Mark 4, 31 and 32. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground, it is smaller than all the seeds of the earth, but when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, uh, and it shoots out large branches uh, so that the birds of the air may nest uh, under its shade. So here we now have a hidden mystery. That hidden mystery is the life of God, and that life of God uh, working in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. uh, And the Bible says uh, that that life is able to bring forth uh, an impact uh, that is beyond comprehension. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 3, it said, I'll give you the treasures of darkness uh, and hidden riches uh, of secret places. So what we're dealing with then is a hidden mystery. We're dealing with something that we cannot measure with our eye, We cannot measure, we cannot see that happening, only God can bring that to pass because it is life. It is divine life. It is a spiritual working beyond the scenes, it is a spiritual working beyond your capability, but God calls you and I to a single purpose, and that is to plant our life. Listen to one scripture, John 12, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, we know what that's talking about, but one thing that we sometimes pass over is that we're talking in that passage of Scripture about planting a life for God. This has stunning dimension. I was talking with our good friend, Paul Graham, who... Uh, pastors in the suburbs of Perth, West Australia. He reaches way back in our ministry. I was uh, pastoring there in uh, 1981, and he reminded me that he was not a part uh, of our movement at that time. He and his wife were uh, in another church, and they had a little music group. They were trying to win souls. They had a burden to win souls, Uh, and uh, they were invited to take this little music group to Geraldton, West Australia, church several hours up the coast. Uh, They had no transportation, uh, and I gave him the keys to a van that we had uh, and allowed them to drive that van up, uh, and this made a fantastic impression uh, upon this young man. It won his heart. He shortly thereafter came into our church because he saw something that was his own heart and his own spirit. Uh, He had a burden to win the loss for Christ, uh, and he wanted to plant his life uh, in the kingdom of God, uh, and that made an impact on him. today, this young man and his wife are pastoring in Kenwick, West Australia, and are touching the world. Nations of the world are being touched uh, in that congregation. Now listen to me for a moment. Where I've come then is from the mentality of the world around us, the Christian world. Bigger is better. I'm not against church growth. I love to see more people come. The more people I preach to, the better I feel. My ego, man, I tell you what. It was wonderful being on the Courthouse Plaza on Saturday. There's thousands of people. I said, Wow. I've preached to a lot smaller crowds than that a lot of times. Can you say amen? But think with me what I've said here. Bigger is better. I'm not against church growth. I'm not against a bigger church. But I want to tell you that bigger is not always better. Sometimes it's filthy and foul. Sometimes it smells awful. Sometimes it only takes one simple, straight sermon to clean the house out. If you weren't here on Saturday, we had uh, the eminent United States Senator John McCain who was with us on the courthouse plaza and appeared for a couple of minutes and gave honor. Did He honored our schedule and uh, spoke very briefly and sat down and did stay through the altar call. I just asked Pete. I said, uh, "How did McCain uh, like the program? It was a wonderful presentation. I do a patriotic, God and country rally." Said he. He said, "This is tremendous. He really, really enjoyed the presentation, the patriotic rally. But he sure didn't like that preacher that stood up and preached the gospel." <laughs> well that's too bad it was our program not his amen and when they contacted us that they wanted uh, he wanted to appear and say a few words I said that's fine but you tell him before that this is what we're doing Uh, no politics we want nothing but uh, honoring the military this is what's going to be five minutes or less and at the end uh, We're going to be preaching the gospel. If they want to come on that terms, no problem. Bigger is not always better. It's the principle of life that bears fruit. And there is no principle of life unless Jesus Christ and His power and His life is released. And it can only be released in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words, if I call your attention to this. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 22, Your fathers went down to Egypt with seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. In Deuteronomy 26, verse 5, My father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number. And there he became a nation, great mighty, and populous. Now I mention Paul Graham because he is a part of a fabric of our overall fellowship, touching the world, because Australia has become a place where people are immigrating, refugees are coming in from all over the world. And here in this little fabric of society is a church. That church is reaching precious souls, from several different nations uh, and a few Australians. But it's a part of an overall fabric of our fellowship uh, that fits the pattern of this seed of planting a life uh, that bears fruit. David uh, Marks called me last week, I believe it was. David Marks pastors in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. Now, Chilliwack is not exactly the center of the earth. little church, just runs regularly under 100 people, has planted several very valuable workers, uh, planted into Russia. Uh, this has spun out into uh, Mongolia, spun out into Vietnam, spun out into Cambodia. And he was telling me this this astonishing word. You no doubt we'll hear from him or some of the workers, uh, but he was telling me this. They begin to calculate... Uh, over the churches that they have planted and had influence on and granddaughter churches, they calculated that about 700 people a month are coming to Jesus. So let's back to the church. How many are running your church, brother? Ninety? I hate Hicks, I hate Hicks, I hate Hicks. See, the church world doesn't understand what I'm talking about. The church world despises uh, the worker that will plant their life uh, and say, God, I want to win people for Jesus. I want to make disciples. Uh, I want to reach the world. Uh, And you can do that uh, from the smallest city on earth. Uh, And you can do that uh, from a very small number of people if uh, you will plant your life. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. Wisdom from a preacher. I believe there are people here this evening that your hearts are not right with God. We're involved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news and the message that you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and in a moment of time, God can change totally your life, wipe the slate clean, forgive your sins, uh, and He does that when you believe in Jesus Christ who died for you. I wonder this evening, just before I change this to other things, every head bowed and every eye closed. please, I don't want you going out and moving around in disrespect to the Spirit of God that is in here. Souls are hanging in the balance. And I wonder tonight, if you're here tonight, you'd say, Pastor, uh, I'm backslidden or I'm not right with God. I don't understand everything you're saying, but I need God desperately, and I want your prayer. Would you lift your hand and hold it right there? You're unsaved, backslidden, Uh, you're in this building tonight. I want to give you a moment, get your heart right with God, left to right, from front to back. you lift your hand up there where you are and say, Pastor, I need God. Lift your hand right there where you are left to right. I see that hand. Keep it up. wonder how many more. You just be honest with God. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God calls you to plant your life, uh, and He calls you to get your heart right with God. And if you do that, uh, He'll change your life in a moment's time. You slip your hand up. Hold it where I can see it, left to right, from front to back. Back Backslider. Unsaved man, woman, boy or girl. You just slip your hand up left to right. You lifted your hand. Look at me while I'm standing here on the platform. I want you to get out and come and find a place to pray. Quickly, come right now. Quickly, while I'm talking. Come right now. You lifted your hand. Every head is bowed. Every eyes closed. Amen. Come and find a place to pray. Every head is bowed. Every eyes closed. Maybe you brought someone with you unsaved. Turn to them. Bring them down. Find a place to pray. There are people here tonight... Uh, And God's talking to you about planting your life. He's talking to you about making a decision for eternity. We live in a religious world, and in this religious world, they do not understand what I'm talking about tonight. Or if they do understand it, they've discounted it because they've bought into the mentality. I want a young man to come pray with this young man right here. They bought into the mentality: uh, bigger is better. We're not against growth, we're not against large churches, we're not against that at all. But I want to tell you that unless you have this mentality that I'm talking about tonight and you're genuinely preaching the gospel, you're not very likely to ever have a a great impact or influence in life. But if you plant your life, God will bring you a glorious harvest. A Syrian about to perish was my father, but now... He's become multiplied as the stars of heaven, uh, as the sand on the seashore. I wonder how many of you tonight, you've come to this conference, you want to be honest with God. You say, Pastor, tonight uh, I'm going to be open in this conference. Uh, I want to plant my life, and I want my life to make impact, uh, and I'm going to be open to that, to obey God. I want you to lift your hand right there where you're sitting. I'm going to be open to God. I'm going to plant my life. I'm going to be open to God. I want you to get up out of your seats and come and find a place to pray. Lifted your hand. uh, As we draw this service to conclusion, my brother's going to lead us in a course. uh, Find a place to pray. Lay hold of God. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries From the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.